0: Hi, I'm Zibbie Owens, and you're listening to the award winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. This week's episode has been sponsored by A Thing or Two, which is a podcast hosted by Claire Mazur and Erica Cerullo, who you might know as the co founders of the website of a kind, RIP, or the co authors of the book Work Wife, which I've had on my podcast. They're all about discovery and enthusiasm. This podcast has been described as a unique mix of urgent discussions of non-urgent things and thoughtful discussions of important and otherwise ignored things. (laughs) And uh, I'm very much on board with that take. Claire and Erica also send out a weekly companion newsletter with a diehard following. You can sign up to receive it at claireanderica.com. So thanks so much to Claire and Erica and their fantastic podcast, a thing or two, which you should definitely check out. I'm here today with Mark and Sienna Siegel. Mark Siegel is an author and illustrator of many award-winning books. He's the founder and creative-slash-editorial director of First Second Books, a Macmillan imprint that publishes graphic novels. He illustrated To Dance, written by Sienna Chershon Siegel, his wife. He illustrated Oscar and the Eight Blessings, which won the 2015 Jewish Book Award, and How to Read a Story. In 2017, he launched the Five Worlds graphic novel series, a five-volume fiction series he co-writes with his brother, Alexis Siegel. The first in the series was a New York Public Library top 10 book for kids in 2017. Originally from Ann Arbor, Michigan, Mark was raised in France. A graduate of Brown University, he currently lives in New York. Sienna Chershon-Siegel is an author and former dancer from Puerto Rico who trained at the School of American Ballet and later worked in the education department at the American Ballet Theater, directing their training programs for young dancers. To Dance is her story, which won a Seibert honor and many other awards. Also a graduate of Brown University, she currently lives in New York and is married to Mark. So welcome, Mark and Sienna. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank, Thank you for having us. Yeah, Thank Especially you. on this rainy, disgusting day.
3: It sure is. It's like London, London winter here in New York today.
0: Yeah, but even more cozy, right? Now we have like, you know, nice to be inside. It hot <laughs> tea. Yeah. Hot yeah. tea. There's so much to talk about with graphic novels and both of your incredible life experiences. But let's start with To Dance, your illustrated graphic novel that you worked on together, a ballerina's graphic novel. How did you decide to collaborate on this? Why did you make it a graphic novel? What is it about? Go ahead. I'll just okay. sit
1: back. and. Well, To Dance is a memoir, and it's about a 10-year period of my life growing up as a young ballet lover who started taking ballet and then fell in love with ballet and wanted to just continue doing it as much as possible. And coming to New York to train at the School of American Ballet and doing that at a very Interesting and unusual time in the history of ballet where George Balanchine was still alive. He was still running the company that the school is associated with, the New York City Ballet. And people were, you know, coming to New York from Soviet Union and defecting. And there was all these amazing dancers just arriving there at that particular moment in time. And I was this little girl, you know, just kind of swept up into it all and getting to dance with some of them in, in the same performances as a child at... Like, and City you Valley. you came from Puerto Rico. Yes. And we're how old Rico. were you when you... I came here when I was 11 and started into 7th grade. I arrived right before 7th grade. So um, it was a huge change, of course, you know coming from Puerto Rico. But I had... It's not like it was the first time I had come to New York. I had been here before for, like, a summer program at ABT the year before and just, you know, trips... So it's about that and about just being a, a girl who loves ballet and my experience with that. And, and then also it goes into the fact that I did not end up becoming a professional dancer. So it was, you know, a little bit of a different story than I thought was out there at the time.
0: And tell me a little more about your injury that, that halted your career.
1: Well, it was a torn ligament in my ankle. And it was. It wouldn't have halted my career at another time. I think it's not the kind of thing that you can never Mm -hmm. recover from and dance again from. But at the time it happened, was was not a good time because it was the time when I really needed to just strengthen up so much that they could see. Okay, you're going to get in the company. You're not going to get in the company. You're going to get a job. You're not going to. And so it was just a very bad time for it to happen. And it and I it never really. Strengthened up back to where it had been before,
3: and you kept dancing instead of I, really. Yes, giving I didn't it a take care of it at heal. the
1: beginning, oh. um, Until it was really damaged, um, and it just oh, no. yeah. So the the effect of that torn ligament lasted for months and months because I waited a long time before I finally got the cast and stopped dancing. So it was it was really a year. It was kind of like a year long process of realizing that it was going to have a a really bad effect (laughs) on my dancing life.
0: And when you you were growing up, you turned to all these great books about dance, and I was particularly interested and excited to see Jill Cremins' book, A Very Young Dancer, because... I loved that book, that whole series of books, very yeah. young everything, a very young skater, a very young chef or cook or whatever. And I, my mom like saved those books, and now my daughter reads those books all the time. So then I saw in the graphic novel a picture of that book. So that was yes. fantastic because I, you know, you never know who else is reading what
1: you love as a kid. I know. I absolutely loved that book. I did read all the other books, too, mm-hmm. and I went to the School of American Ballet with a very young skater, the girl oh, who was a yeah. very young skater. She was in one of in. The school at the time but I just would I read it and read it and read it and would study every detail I loved all the details and the photos and just was you know i I loved the fact that there was this girl who loved the same thing as I did and you know we had so much in common even though we had so little in common and you know me living in Puerto Rico at the time and but I just really wanted to do what she was doing that was so clear to me. I, I wanted to go to New York. I wanted to go to that school and, you know, and just, you made it happen. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it's really incredible. It was, I mean, and, the, and I mean, that's just this one moment in the book that is, you know, so, so amazing was that when I arrived at the school, my first class at the school was the level that she was in when the book was made, my wore the saved yeah. third color. And that was just like, Hmm. This is a very young dancer. And within a couple of months of arriving, I was, I started, you know, getting to be in in the Nutcracker and the performances that the children can be in at, at New York City Ballet, you know, rehearsals. And it was so exciting. It just, it was a dream. You should drop some names. Well, oh yeah, I mean that that, you were in that hundreds year,
3: of performances yeah, at Lincoln Center. Okay, well that <laughs> same
1: year was the year when Borisynikov Mikhail Baryshnikov decided he wanted to leave American Ballet Theater, work with Balanchine, and come over to New York City Ballet. So he was there, and and they revived Harlequinade for him to play Harlequin, and I got to be in that. And so yeah. I was, you know, I was backstage with with Suzanne Farrell and. Barishnikov and and Patricia McBride and you I know mean, just all these yeah, amazing dancers and getting to be you know in the same show with him not at the same time but you know I still think it was such a
0: weird I don't know if you used to watch Sex and the City that they cast Barishnikov it's like yeah yeah Sarah much Jessica later Clark. in his career <laughs> hey, Love and yes <laughs> say, I did see a few right? of those That's so he random. acted yeah. a lot he you yeah.
1: know, he ended up going into act uh, quite a bit of acting but at the time. You know, oh, he actually was acting at the time, too, in a few, you know, ballet movies. He did, movies like, White Nights or something. He did right. White Nights, yeah, and yeah. he did The Turning Point around that time. Yeah. Like, they were making movies about yeah. ballet at the time. You know, that's how kind of ballet was a like kind of bigger part of, of you know, mainstream culture than it is now, I think. And the people, the stars you mentioned, like Suzanne Farrell, all those
0: people, like, I still remember their names, but I could only maybe tell you one name of a dancer
1: today. Can no, they, I mean, like, exactly. They were showing, cool yeah, yeah, yeah thanks to my daughter. Yeah. On, on PBS live all the time, mm-hmm. you know, performances of the Met, the ABT, and Near City Ballet, and making movies about it, and, yeah, yeah. it was the place to be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So, this whole period of your life, you condensed essentially and turned into a graphic novel. Yes. Mark, you have this whole graphic novel background. You started First Second, which produces like a bazillion graphic novels of all different types, all different ages, with yes. all these different collaborators. And you've written and illustrated so many books yourself. You could have done anything with. Sienna's story. Yeah. And you're married, so you had, like, an extra yeah, yeah. pressure to well, make I mean, it, it good. Why, it, it, why in this form? You
3: know, I, I've been hearing, you know, what was interesting to me is, I mean, it's it's a bit like we both had, we had these two languages, you know. Sienna had the language of ballet, and I had the language of comics. And what was interesting was that, you know, she wasn't especially warm to comics to begin with, and I wasn't especially warm to ballet, So we had to kind of learn each other's language, you know, and she would, I mean, before we, before we started into the project, you know, it, it came about because I was very interested in the fact that she, she was, she would look at life as a dancer. And I feel like the, the way she would talk about a football game, she was actually talking about dance the way, I think the way Sienna writes is a kind of dance. And that to me was very interesting. And then a graphic novel is more verbal, but it's also visual. There's a different use of time, you know, mm-hmm. so, and it's very hard. I find it very hard looking at ballet books generally, like especially picture books. They tend to be very wooden. They're drawn after photos and, and it shows. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have any of the the sense of time, the sense of movement, you know. And, and so I had to learn, you know, Sienna took me to some shows And to see some ballets, actually, I had to learn how to read a ballet. Hmm. And she had to learn how to read a comic, you know. And so, and for her, it was more instant. I think it was like Persepolis. There was a couple of graphic novels that you read that were like your entry points, you know. And for me, it took a little while of, I think what it was, was that at first I I would go to a ballet and I was looking for plot. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking like it's a movie or a play, and if you do that, it's horrible. You know, <laughs> mostly they're really bad plots. You know, except maybe Giselle and a couple but others. But Balanchine
1: doesn't do his he doesn't do a aren't plot. Story ballets, no, no. Mostly, except the Nutcracker, they're not plots.
3: So, so it took this shift to actually get into like reading with my feeling life, and that was a big shift for me. It was it was a deep moment. It happened with Symphony and C, and it was a record. It was a, a video of mm-hmm. Suzanne Farrell and Symphony in Symphony and C. And it was like, I got it. I was like, oh, you know, it moved me. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, that's what gets a person hooked on this stuff. And then I could kind of enter into Sienna's language, you know, and then we brought the two together. So we were doing things. What I found was a really interesting challenge for myself creatively was that, you know, we had some events. We had like 10 years of Sienna's life Mm -hmm. to work with. And I interviewed her. We were on long walks up in Westchester in, in the Rockefeller Farms yeah, yeah. with a little recorder, you know, and like hours and hours of, of interviewing was how we started. And she told her stories, told these moments. And, but what, when we distilled it down, like our core intention with the project was to try and capture, there was four distinct feelings. And that to me was a really interesting challenge. It's not a concept. It's not an idea. It's not like a sequence from a plot, you know, mm-hmm. or a mystery. Or something. It's like, how do you get a reader into feeling things, like four things in a deep, meaningful way? You know, and I, I feel like it's funny because, you know, we, we first, this first book first published about 12 years ago uh, from Simon and Schuster. And at the time, it was right before the explosion of the graphic novel. It was just two years before it really went bananas in America specifically and turned into the fastest growing category in publishing now. But at the time it was just ahead of that. And so we had a limited amount of pages to work with. You know, we were told like 64 is already crazy mm-hmm. for a picture book, you know, and we were we wanted 120. And mm-hmm. they were like, What are you thinking? And but then so we put it out. And then I had other projects over the years and We got this chance, basically, to do an updated special edition, Mm -hmm. which is what's coming out right now. And that's a pretty rare thing for any authors, you know, to have. Like, 12 years later, you get to rework some of the artwork, add some of the interstitial things that we had to cut.
1: The text didn't change at all. The text didn't change, Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. But we, you know, so we, and we added, Sienna added a whole scrapbook of memorabilia. Which and like, I loved. That yeah. was like,
1: so great. That to was see. so fun to do. I, I just thought, you know, I, I happen to have kept scrapbooks. My mother was a big, like, don't get rid of anything. One day you're going to need some of this. You know, mm-hmm. she, she always thought I might write a book about the experience. And she's the one that saved everything and kept it all and said, the you know, tickets and the yes. playbill. And I thought, wouldn't it be so fun for people reading it to see a photo? A real photo of a moment that's in the book, and be able to connect the two together, and be like, "Oh, that yeah. was that time. There mm-hmm. she is mm-hmm. doing, you know, there's Sienna in harlequinade costume. So that was really fun to put together.
3: I mean, this is basically what what's coming out now is the book that we really wanted to put out
1: mm-hmm. in the so beginning. That's good. It only it's, took twelve years. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. But I felt like so getting to that you know, the the meshing of these two things. Like the graphic novel allows you to play with time in a different way and to get into, you know, you can switch out of the verbal Mm -hmm. into the nonverbal. And they are two different kinds of literacy. And then there's like the mix of the two, you know, like, and one of my favorite moments from the story is the football scene, you know. And we, Mm -hmm. we used to joke with our editor at the time, that it would be the only ballet book with a football scene. (laughs) But it's like Sienna, I mean, this is how, to me, Sienna's mind works. You know, it's like she. we're sitting there looking at the Miami Dolphins, and when you read the running captions, you know, she's talking about dance through football, you know, I and I love that.
0: few people would consider this year's Miami Dolphins to be skilled
1: in anything. <laughs> no. Dance or otherwise. This was a long time ago. This, <laughs> was, wow, this um, was, you know, what they were actually. Dan,
0: this is like Dan
3: Marino, right? No, yeah. even before. The, the golden age of yeah. Miami <laughs>
0: Dolphins. It's funny. But Mark... Graphic novels to you. So you kind of were ahead of the eight bulbs, whole trend. When did you start your company around it? And how did you originally get interested? I know you said you've always been interested in comics, but yeah. you grew up in France part of the time I grew up you have in this France, interesting background. Yeah. How did this all happen for you?
3: So my dad's American, my mom's French. I grew up in France pretty much my entire childhood. And and what's interesting with comics is that they followed a very different path in specifically in France, but also in Japan. Mm -hmm. And in both places in the 60s and 70s, they basically became part of the mainstream reading diet. So if you were a reader and you wanted to have a well-rounded knowledge, that would include some graphic novels, you know, and there were some shows like book TV shows that were very, very popular in France. And there'd be, you know, they'd have, like, some American authors. There'd be, like, the Norman Mailers Mm -hmm. and these people. But then there'd be, like, regularly a cartoonist in the mix, in the literary Mm -hmm. conversation. And that, you know, I missed when I came here for college. And then, you know, so that wasn't really readily available. There were some indie comics publishers that were very much under the radar of big publishing in America. And then what happened was, like, 2004, 5, let's see, we moved to New York in 2000. 2000. yeah. So 2004 was the peak of the Japanese invasion. So the manga, at the mm-hmm. time there was Borders books, you know. Mm-hmm, and pretty course. much <laughs> every week you would go to Borders, mm-hmm. there'd be a new bay, you know, added to just have like this flood of manga. A mm-hmm. lot of people were kind of freaking out about <laughs> it. They were like, it reads like right to left, and it's like, I can't, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But- A lot of young readers couldn't get enough of these. And what happened was two very, very good things came of that moment in American publishing. First of all, this flood was noticed by the big publishers because millions of dollars were changing hands and they were not getting a piece of that pie at all. So they were like, what do we do around 2004? Every week in Publishers Weekly, there was some new statistic of insane numbers, you know, Mm -hmm. for manga specifically. The other thing manga did is that it, almost overnight in America, it flipped the readership from about 85% of comics readers, we're we're talking, 85% male, like aging male readers, to within a space of a year or two, about 65% female Hmm. and young. And a lot of those young readers would later become some of the star authors that I publish now. Hmm. You know, you, when you look at people like Faith Erin Hicks or Jen Wang or Vera Brosgall, they didn't grow up reading like Wolverine. <laughs> they were they were reading manga. They were reading Sailor Moon. They were, you know, they, it's like different, they came a different way. So the fact of that change was huge. And then right around that time, I had just gotten into publishing and I was trying to get a break in picture books, and everything happened all at once. You know, I got my first picture book with Sea Dogs, and I did that in this comic style, and it was noticed. And it won the Texas Blue Bonnet. and so it did well. At the time, it popped. I started editing. I translated some French graphic novels that made it onto the New York Times bestseller list. and And then I was meeting some people way above my pay grade in publishing because of that. Mm-hmm. And because at the time, the manga explosion was causing these publishers to, to go, okay, what do we do? How do we do this? Do we do fake manga? Do we just repurpose manga? Do we do superheroes? Do we, you know? And they were wondering. And John Sargent, who's the head of Macmillan, I met with him with my this crazy vision for a literary graphic novel imprint. It would be a house that would be author-driven rather than, like, merch and mm-hmm. movie-driven. Mm-hmm. And it would really be about cultivating authors, you know, and and upping the bar on the whole thing. And right at the same time, so Sargent's, you know, we had an amazing conversation and he was like, go for it.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
1: So cool. <laughs> and
3: Macmillan back, backed me, you know. Amazing. And, and then what happened was things changed. I mean, some of the stuff I thought would take us 10 years to accomplish happened in the first year. Hmm. Like getting the, Which the literary. Which was
1: 2005. Two, I it was 2006, 2006
3: was when it, okay. when, when we, we okay. were in stores in 2006. We okay. started, you know, we were okay. winding up for about a year. And then we hit the stores in 2006. And then that fall, Jin Yang, American Born Chinese Happens, It's the first graphic novel ever nominated for a National Book Award. And then come, I think, January at ALA, it was the first comic ever to win The Prince. And that's the big Teen Librarians Award. It was, it changed, I mean, that was history making for American publishing, for American comics. And his trajectory goes, you know, stellar after that. I mean, he's now writing the Chinese Superman for DC, but he, his own books, he got another national book award nomination and he was made the ambassador to children's literature for two years. He just finished. So, and then we had other things, you know, several other titles like this one summer is the only book by the Tamaki cousins It's the only book to ever have made the Caldecott and the Newberry list. Wow. No book has ever, and that's an interesting property of the graphic novel, is it blurs all the categories, Mm -hmm. age categories, genre categories. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so First Second became that house. Like overnight, we were the darling of librarians. We still are, I think. And because we're cultivating authors, we're speaking the same language, as it's a literary approach to the whole thing. Mm. And then I have my own projects, you know, and when I started for a second, I knew that it would be a terrible mistake. I would regret all my days if I put my own projects on, on hold. Mm-hmm. Typically, you know, it just goes to sleep and you never wakes up. But so I negotiated that, you know, I would continue with my own projects and I would make sure and have the time to do that. And we were, I mean, it was basically we'll a safe. year before that.
1: The same year when Jin Yang won when American Born Chinese won the Prince was the same year that To Dance got the cybert at right, that same time. Right, 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 so right. it came out of the same
3: It was all happening. Thing. And yeah. we were starting a family. It was a busy time. It was there was not a lot of sleep during that time. But <laughs> but it was amazing. And I think with To Dance, you know, we it was a little bit ahead because it was like, you know, there was just this whole thing mm-hmm. taking off, but it was embraced, you know, and, it, and, and we still, you know, for the last 10, 12 years, we've had to turn down invitations, you know, to go all over the place, because it, it's like it, I think those feelings that we were trying to convey, you know, they're in there mm-hmm. somehow. For all its imperfections, it's like it works at some level, and that's really exciting. Mm-hmm.
0: So do you ever, I mean, for as a parent with kids who love to read graphic novels, is there any truth to when people are like, "Well, don't just read graphic novels; you should read books, right?" No, like, no, no. D- yeah. you're cheating yeah, in a yeah, way. Yeah. Like it's somehow like a cop out, in a, you yeah, know, what I mean? like yeah, uh, yeah. a hack to yeah, actually yeah. sitting there with words only text. How do you feel about that? And I have
3: feelings. Just- <laughs> I
0: mean, let me hear. Tell, tell me your feelings. So we, I
3: mean, I mean, just from our own, you know, our own family. Like our, our both our kids are incredible, voracious readers of everything. Mm-hmm. They love graphic novels. How old are your kids? 14 12 and 12. And
1: 14.
3: Yeah. Okay. But so here's the thing is, you know, I've had a chance to meet now with thousands of librarians and booksellers and educators. I do that kind of around the year. The librarians, all educators including librarians and teachers, school teachers, they are on board. The course adoptions are huge for graphic novels. They'll tell you that oftentimes the vocabulary for the same equivalent In prose, it's much more advanced Mm. in graphic novels. And that in general, you know, kids who are growing up enjoying their reading are going to be lifelong readers. And that, I mean, now we have, you know, a decade of data to show they do, they, they read everything. And what's interesting is when you talk to librarians, they will sometimes tell you, especially teen and children's librarians, they'll say, we're not the problem. The teachers are not the problem. The last holdouts are parents. Mm,
0: Interesting.
3: And, you know, when you think about if graphic novels are getting National Book Awards and getting Prince Awards and Newbery Awards, that's not for nothing. It's an indicator, right? Now, is everything good? No. But point to any
0: medium. neither are all the prose books. I mean, look at
3: novels, right? Novels Mm -hmm. or movies or music is 90% crap. (laughs) I mean, generally, it's fair to say it's 90% crap. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. But then that 10% of like the gems that are going to stand the test of time, now there's a lot of that 10% in graphic novels. And there's some stuff where if you have a prejudice against that form, then you may not be exposing yourself or your kids to some really remarkable new voices that are doing some work that will, I think, Stand the test of time.
1: Yeah, I, I still, I do feel that they shouldn't replace reading prose and novels without pictures because I think that there's a lot, a lot of value in picturing things in your own mind and not being, you know, like having the the imaginative space while you're reading to see what you think it looks like. Mm-hmm. And also there's a kind of a stamina about just reading words with no pictures that I think is built by doing it more and more, where sometimes I feel like it would be lost. That stamina would get a bit diminished by only reading graphic novels. But, of course, they're never going to just read. Well, no, and they have to read they Yeah, books. they're cool. different.
3: They're, I mean, I think they do. They're different. Th- they right? operate on different parts, different circuitry yeah. in our minds. Yeah, they do. So they're different reading experiences, and they're good for different things. You know, they have different strengths, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? So you have, I do think that there's some books, you know, I get as an editor, I get a lot of submissions of people saying, oh, well, let's adapt this book from prose to graphic novel or something. And I I, I tend to resist that because mm-hmm. I feel like if it works, why mess with it, you know? And, and it, are, are you going to end up with a kind of diminished echo of the original thing? You know, it's like Orson Welles used to right. say, he he only wanted to adapt... Mediocre novels to make great movies out of. Mm. And I think, with, you know, when people, you know, like you're saying, you, it, it, it's not a, nothing is a substitute. It's a, it's a different reading experience. It's a different form of literacy. It really is. I mean, mm-hmm. there is now a visual literacy that our kids are growing up with, that it's a vital medium for them. Just like you look at the 60s and you can't think of the 60s without pop music. It's mm-hmm. like that is. The vital medium of the 60s right now you look at things like podcasting you mm-hmm. look at things like graphic novels there's a reason why these connect
0: mm-hmm.
3: right now they do Interesting. there's a freshness you know
0: i'm interviewing tomorrow somebody who wrote an amazon original like an audiobook only yeah and i was talking about that to some people in an older generation who were like well that's not reading if you listen to these books and i was like I mean, you're not using your eyes, but you're consuming the story. Your brain is, like, consuming the story. Anyway. Yeah.
3: But it is interesting that audio does also work through a different circuitry. You right. Know? So it, it affects you in a different way. Mm-hmm. And then there's the voice and there's the acting and, the you know, yeah. that now comes into it. Mm-hmm. So it's different. When you're reading prose, the voice is forming up in your own mind. Mm-hmm. You know, the imagery yes. is forming up in your own mind. Yeah. What's interesting with graphic novels is that it's not... It's certainly not like a lazier experience because no. it's actually a very active reading. Mm-hmm. You know, you are actually filling in a lot more than you are seeing in some ways. I mean,
0: nobody would accuse anyone who's interested in art of being lazy, yeah. right? And it's yeah. essentially the mix of art and reading, right? Yeah. So why would it be yeah. lazy?
1: If anything, you're doing
0: double time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you're working That's overtime right. on That's these right. graphic and notes. it's something
1: that sometimes people have to learn to do, which is to to take the time to look at every picture. Mm-hmm. Some I you know To some, read the pictures. Yeah. Sometimes read them. children will just read the text and forget that there's a picture to look mm-hmm. at and like go real fast and then miss out on all the artwork and all the pictures and so you have to you have to get into the right speed in order to yeah, that's
3: really
0: yeah. I feel like you were such an early adopter of this medium. Do you see any other like burgeoning trends coming either in the graphic novel space or just even in the literary world given that how much exposure you have to so many readers and
3: Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the the graphic novel is not, is is not has not peaked. Mm-hmm. Right now the hot category, a lot of all the houses are buying a lot of middle grade Kind of contemporary or memoir, which, you know, Reina Telgemeier yes. paved the way, mm-hmm. you know, for that. And we have books like, you know, with Shannon Hale and Lewin Pham that they're great because they're, yes, they're middle grade fiction, but they're emotionally very true. Mm-hmm. And it comes through in the art and in the writing. And it's just, so there's a reason why these connect. But I think. We're on the cusp of of now because many of these readers are growing up. We're looking at teen, and we have like this year three incredible teen hits. You know, one of them is Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me, <laughs> and there, I think the teen space is that's about to explode for graphic novels. And then you know you can see that trend going all the way into adult in time. Adult is still it's a hard nut to crack, but we also we're doing well with adult nonfiction. Hmm. Adult fiction is is a harder one. You know, you can get like five, six starred reviews and get media attention, and still the sales are nothing like middle grade, Mm -hmm. but that's changing.
0: And would you two ever work on a project together again? Like, how is the collaboration as spouses and collaborators? Or are you already working? We are, we 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 actually are. are.
1: Amazing. There's going to be another take on my story called Tiny Dancer. Oh, Yeah, and it's going to be, it's actually going to be focusing more on the time you asked me about, which is what it was like during and after the injury. Mm -hmm. And that whole shift in, like, perception about what I was going to do with my life and am I going to be a dancer Am I? and that time is going to be more the focus and it's it's in the works it's gonna
3: it's a little darker it's mm-hmm. it's older yeah, for older readers and that's a, a full-blown graphic novel hmm. and that's in the works
0: I think there's not enough about what happens to athletes past their prime like right. there's not enough sort of I mean, it's a time of real emotional, you know, darkness. I think for a lot of people who have a single-minded focus for so long, and then they come off it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's going to be a a, a a large resource. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, we got there was a a beautiful moment. It's on Instagram. It's on your Instagram, right? There's somebody. I think somebody's mom wrote to you about to dance. Yeah, because
1: she actually bought to dance for her daughter, her teenage daughter, or a gift, a Christmas gift, a few years ago who was a girl who loved ballet and then had to stop ballet. She didn't say why, but mm-hmm. something it sounded
3: like an injury physically
1: mm-hmm. that, you know, caused her not to be able to dance anymore. And apparently the girl just needed something about to dance just to be able to go on with, you know, in herself
3: and... And read it a hundred times. Yeah. And, so anyway, now she's grown up. Yeah, she's, now she's, she's like older. seven.
1: She's I think she's a senior. So this and, happened was she, earlier.
3: And, 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 and they posted this photo yeah. of her with the book, with the new edition, and she's in tears looking at it. It's a beautiful photo on Instagram. But what the reason I brought it up is the what you wrote. You, we sent her a copy of the new edition and you wrote, what did you write in the inscription to her?
1: I wrote that there's plenty of time in a life for more than one dream and even if she feels like, you know, that was her dream and that's not going to happen, it will affect other dreams and cause other dreams to be able to happen.
3: I mean, I feel and like that's, that's such a of- that's such a good vitamin mm-hmm. for so many people, you know, yeah. I feel and that was I think part of Sienna's own journey was being so zeroing in on the one pursuit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then, then having to landing find landing up like, at yeah. seventeen, like, oh, what am I going to do now? And you know, it was it was really really hard. So the next book is gonna is going to focus on that. Oh, I can't wait for that. Yeah, yeah.
3: and it does different things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, yeah. in a, you know, New York has more of a presence, mm-hmm. and it's just like a it's a it's a different creature. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very exciting to see that take shape. So yeah, so we're working.
1: Yeah, it's great working with, together. I, yeah. I I love it. It's difficult because we have to you know carve out that time and space to do that together which is different from all other aspects of life and our family life and everything else going on but i i it's one of the joys of my life is just being able to do this together, and we and I feel like we
3: thing. generate you know we generate together like it's like we you know we'll sit down for a session and almost invariably you know walk away with more than was there you That's know great. so it's kind of i think it carries us to some degree which is pretty special
0: yeah do you have any parting advice to aspiring authors out there maybe even aspiring collaborators or aspiring graphic novelists Uh take your pick
3: I mean I I do like I get asked that you know I meet a lot of young and aspiring authors sometimes I'm tempted to say like don't overload on advice you know you get a lot of you get a lot of it and Mm -hmm. it's and you know when someone comes to you asking for advice it it does a little, it tickles up your ego. It feels nice, you know, to be like in that, in that seat. But then, you know, ultimately you get some people who are spending like thousands of dollars on seminars and they're reading books and methods. And yes, there is a craft, which you do need to learn whatever, you know, kind of storytelling you're doing. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a need to actually train and kind of get some skill, but, the biggest thing is doing it, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes all that noise can take you away
2: yeah.
3: from actually doing it, you know, and I think it's the same for everything. Like if you do a podcast, I mean, how much can you learn before you just get on that mic and do it, you <laughs> know, <laughs> like yeah. that's where you're really going to learn, you know, and then mm-hmm. if you need to find like, Oh, how does someone handle an interview that really goes south or something? Then you go searching mm-hmm. for the, you know, the, that, Skill set, yeah. you know? Or but maybe I should
0: have, but I haven't. No,
3: maybe no, 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 no. You just put people just at ease and you're it like, no, no. I all the
0: time. No. I wing it every day. No, no, it's great. It's
3: great. Uh, well, you definitely have a, an art of putting people at ease.
1: Oh, you do. Well, you really do. Thanks. <laughs> I don't actually feel like I have any advice. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. You must.
0: What about advice for getting, oh, like, switching gears? I loved your dream advice. I mean, mm, I know. That, I love Let's that. keep that, that as really. yours. That okay. was so special and, like, Really inspiring too, because life is long. I mean, I mean, not what, but you know, life takes people in so many different directions, and I think it's so unique to have a dream so early that it's over by the time most people even have their first dream. Right? People are like, "What should I study in college?" And you're like, "I've had a career already." (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And I feel like you're putting that. You know, you're putting your. It's like you're 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 doing your dance. You know, this is like your dance. Your dance is happening in in your in teaching and in writing. You know, and when you meet with these, like we had one time we were in the projects in D.C. with this marvelous foundation called Open Book Foundation. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. And they they gave 90 copies of the book to these, I think they were like 10 to 13-year-old yeah, girls. Yeah, mm-hmm, they were. And it was in the projects. I mean, we, we arrived, we were like, I don't see a school here. And mm-hmm. it was in the basement. Oh, my gosh. But these kids, Sienna had them dancing and it was just the most transporting couple of hours. And then they all got a signed copy. They were all reading. It was actually for most of them, the first book they'd ever owned. Yeah. And he was like, "That's your dance, also. You know, right. that is like."
0: You guys should do like a little video for your website or YouTube or something of the two of you dancing together.
3: <laughs>
0: oh, we have tried to dance together. <laughs> <You> <laughs> we tried try. to you dance. It. Tried. <laughs> even that would be funny. How do two? Funny people. is
3: right. Yes. If, I mean, you never know. What you <laughs> I'll handle the funny. <laughs> 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 well,
0: thank you so much for coming on Mom's no Time to Read you, Books. I'm sharing a your wonderful stories. A pleasure. And, You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks so much to Claire Maser and Eric Cerullo and their amazing podcast, A Thing or Two, which you should definitely check out. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at Zibby at ZibbyOwens.com.